The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath you have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is the shelter From the coming storm shakes at the mention of his name he has power over life and death every knee will bow and tongue confess heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father will you bow will you to his majesty he can save you from the might of all your sin this is the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sins And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come Shelter from the coming storm While you have breath 
You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm. He is the only shelter from the coming storm. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I have spent my entire life trying to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have been hindered in that understanding by what other people have said to me, by what they have taught me, even from my earliest baby years. I have grappled with these issues and struggled with them So I'm not coming to you now with a casual discussion. What I'm going to share with you today is of vital concern for you if you want to be saved. What I discovered as time passed is that I had been lied to about the meaning of words. Now, if you've studied neurolinguistics at all, you know that words are like wagons. They carry meanings. And those meanings become generalized meanings that we all understand. So when we talk with one another, we understand what we're saying to each other. I remember I used to try to read Bolt or, or other German writers theologians, I had a hard time understanding what they were saying because they were taking words that I knew that I was familiar with, and they were putting different meanings on the freight wagon of that word. If we're going to have a conversation together, we have to have some agreement about what the word means and what it doesn't mean. So I've struggled with the meaning of words. I'm not a scholar. Yes, I have my degree, my graduate degree in theology, but I'm not a scholar. I'm a student of the Bible. I've read it and read it and read it hundreds of times. But I have discovered that because... I did not understand the biblical meaning of the word and simply accepted what others said to me about the meaning of that word, that I would read the word in the scripture and it wouldn't make sense to me. And so I'd just say, well, okay, and I'd go on. And I would read other things in the scripture that would say the exact opposite of what that word meant. 
and it confused me. How could I understand if I didn't understand the way the words were being used? So let's talk about some of those words. But before we do, let's pray. Lord Jesus, you've called me to speak about words that have become corrupted in our salvation language. I'm asking, Lord, that you would give us clear understanding of the definition of these words that you hold as found in the word of God and that you would cleanse us of the many false meanings that we have heard and been told. Lord, give us understanding today. And we will praise you, because an understanding will draw our hearts to you, Jesus. Thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. One of the most common words that we have misunderstood is the word grace. Now, I'm not going to go into the full meaning of grace, but just very quickly. The word grace does not mean, in Scripture, a covering. It does not mean you have a blanket covering over your sin. No, The word grace means an active working part of the salvation process that teaches us to say no to wickedness, to ungodliness. Salvation is granted by the blood of Jesus Christ. But the grace of God applies that blood to us and teaches us to leave wickedness. But another word that we need to deal in some depth with is the word justification. I've asked several people, what is your working definition of justification? One person said to me, my working definition is just as if I had never sinned just as if I had never sinned. Well, obviously, that definition includes a dishonesty. Because the fact is, you have sinned. And the fact is, you are continuing to sin, if that's your definition of justification. But what we've been taught, what I was taught, is justification by faith. I struggled and struggled to try to understand this. One college professor that I had a particular love for brought me into his office, an old man at that time. And he said, Ray, you need to understand what justification means. I said, Yes, please tell me. And so he began to describe justification with with telling me a story that a mother went to an evangelistic series of meetings. And in that series of meetings, 
the pastor was preaching on justification. And this mother could not understand what the word meant. And she began to weep and say, I must understand this justification or I'm never going to be able to go to heaven. And finally, one night, she leapt to her feet and began to shout and praise. Because finally, she understood what the term justification meant. It meant for her, not that she had become just as if she'd never sinned, but that she had been made righteous in the presence of God by choosing to believe in the promises of Scripture and the power of the blood of Jesus. She had been transformed into a new creature, a new person who no longer walked in sin. As this man sat there describing this for me, tears were flowing down his face. I have to tell you, I was much touched by this pastor, but I did not understand what he was talking about. I, his definition was beyond the realm of my understanding. I had no framework to decide that this was true. In my youth growing up, in my college training, justification meant I came to Jesus, I repented of my sins, and he covered me. And it was as if I had never sinned, but I was still sinning, but I was justified. It was a legal decision on the part of God. This is what I was taught, that it was a legal decision on the part of God to forgive all of my past sins. It didn't change me. Let me use a big word. It did not regenerate me. It left me struggling against sin. And the illustration used was you're in a boat and one oar is faith and one oar is works. And you're struggling as hard as you can to do what you're supposed to do. But you're always falling short and you're always having to repent and repent and repent. That was what I experienced. My dad would say to me, Raymond, you just have to try harder. I'd say, Daddy, I've tried as hard as I can. I can't win the victory. I still keep going back to those thoughts. I still keep getting angry. I can't do this. God has to do something. Well, he'd say, God's not going to do anything. He's already forgiven you for your past sins. And if you'll confess your sins, he'll continue to forgive you constantly. I couldn't live with that definition. And frankly, it was many years later that God gave me the biblical definition of justification. 
the word justification is an old English word, and it meant in the early, early English, it meant to be made righteous. Made righteous. Not to have righteousness infused or imparted to me, I'm sorry, not to be imputed to me, but to be imparted, to be actually placed in me. That that the law of God was now written on my heart, and I no longer walked in sin. Now let me say that again. I, I, I want to clarify it. I want you to catch this. It is of absolute necessity for your salvation. The word in the Greek is dikiu. Dikiu in the Old Testament meant with the death of an animal, a lamb, a bull. When you had an animal sacrifice made, your sin was covered. It was not forgiven. It was not removed. It was covered over by the blood of the animal. But Hebrews 9 and 10 tells us very clearly that the blood of an animal cannot remove the sin from you. No, it's it has to be done another way. And there are those today who say, When Jesus looks at you, he will not see you in your sin. He will see himself. And you are justified because you have been forgiven. A legal decision on your behalf. I learned that that was not true. It's a lie. And it's taking countless numbers of people to hell. Because it's then the next step to believe that all Christians constantly sin and we are not made righteous. We are sinners before God, but we're constantly repenting and that legal decision is made. Now, please let me expand this further. I hope I'm being clear for you. When God dickies you, when he justifies you, he forgives you for all past sins, but he also makes you into a new creature, a new person, who no longer will walk in sin. We are made clean. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. The old has gone, has gone the new has come. So let's be clear about this word justification. In the Old Testament, in law, justification did not make you righteous. There was a continual reminder and remembrance of sin. Justification in the Old Testament did not deliver you from sin. 
but God passed over your sin. There was no Savior from sin right now. You had to continue to walk before God, doing your best, and on the Day of Atonement, a blood sacrifice was made, and you were covered. Now we come to Calvinism today. Justification under the belief system of John Calvin and many others. Justification does not make you righteous. It again is a perpetual remembrance of sin. It does not deliver you from sin. It is God passing over your sin. And there's no Savior from sin right now. Instead, as one pastor, a very highly educated pastor here in Washington, D.C., a Presbyterian, he said, you're a, you're a crack addict. Don't worry about it. God has already saved you. You're forgiven. But there was no Savior from his sin of crack addiction right then. Now, many people love this theology because it means they can go to church, they can hear these wonderfully encouraging messages, they can be inspired to do their best, but they know and the preacher knows they're going to continue walking in their sin. And they are going to have the benefit of justification, which is that legal statement that your sin is forgiven. So under the law, righteousness is legal. It's not real. It is a legal declaration by God that he has forgiven all of your past sins. It does not make you righteous. There is a perpetual remembrance of sin, and that's why many people teach and preach that you will be made righteous when you die. And so death then becomes your Savior, not the blood of Jesus Christ. They say that God passes over your sin, and if you were to ask Americans, almost every American would say today, I'm still a sinner, but I'm saved by grace if they're a Christian. Or the bumper sticker that said, you and I are just alike. The difference is I'm forgiven. Well, that's a rotten lie from hell. If you're still just like the sinner and you claim that you have justification, you have the legal forgiveness of your sins, but you're still walking in your sin, you're hellbound. I'll show you that in just a minute from the scripture. Again, these teachers teach that there is no savior from sin right now in the present time. You must wait for deliverance from sin. Oh, you can improve. You can stop maybe fornicating. You can stop most of the time lying. You can 
stop the alcoholic consumption that is destroying your liver, you can make improvements. But bottom line, you are still a sinner before God. That's what they teach. Now, by grace, grace meaning moving with power in your life to transform you under justification, under dikasune, or dikiu, is righteousness by grace, real righteousness, not make-believe righteousness. That justification is not simply a legal maneuver to forgive you by the blood of Jesus for your past sins, but it actually transforms you and makes you into a new creature. When a person has been born from above, they have the power to no longer walk in any known rebellion or sin against Jesus. That's the key to knowing whether you've been born from above. And if you have no power in your life to stop sinning, if you're still doing the drugs, if you're still doing the fornicating, if you're still going to the pornography, if you're still walking in unrighteousness before God, you either have not been born from above because you have no power, Or two, you have gone back and rebuilt what the Holy Spirit destroyed in your life when you came to Jesus Christ. Either one puts you in the camp of the sinner who is cast out and faces the judgment at the end of time. This justification delivers you from sin, from sinning. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you, transforms you into a new person, and you are saved from all sin right now in the present. Now, I preached at an Anglican church. They invited me to preach, and I did. And I preached what I've just shared with you. And when the bishop found out, he canceled the series of meetings and he forbade me from ever coming in the church again. He kicked me off the property. He said, we don't even want to pray with you. You're a heretic. What? I'm a heretic because I teach that the blood of Jesus Christ has the power to totally remove sin from my heart and my life? What kind of Jesus do you serve? I was quite honored, to be frank, because John Wesley was also kicked out of the Anglican Church for the same reason. (laughs) So this word, to justify, dikiu, literally means in the New Testament, when it's referring to the New Testament work of Jesus Christ, means to make righteous, to make righteous. Now, 
If that's not your definition of justification, then when you read the scripture and you come in the NIV to the word justification, you will automatically say, it's just as if I had not sinned, but I am a sinner. And you will totally miss what the gospel teaches. Because, as Jeremiah said, the lying pen of the scribes has misused the word of God. Now, I want to go to one more word that we need to look at very carefully. And that word is the word to forgive. To forgive. What happens when you do something that hurts me and I say Lord I forgive him I don't hold a grudge I will not hold any ill feelings toward him I am told to pray for my enemy and so that's what I do I have a question who changed in that transaction. I did. I was the one who was wronged. And I forgave. I let it go. I don't hold them captive. I don't hold them in bondage. I release them in the name of Jesus. Well, now, wait a minute. We say, God forgives you for your sin. Well, what did God do? Did God simply say, all right, Ray, I won't hold a grudge against you. I won't bring you to judgment for that wickedness. I forgive you. Is that all God does? Then there's no salvation in that. There's no regeneration. There's no healing in that. No. For God... To forgive me doesn't just mean that God changes his attitude toward my sin. He still hates sin. And his judgment is still coming against my sin. But what else happens? The word aphemy literally means in the context of Scripture, to remove. Aphemy, the word in the Greek, is a compound of apo, which is from, and hymi, to send away, to dismiss. A spatial meaning is applied. So when God forgives me of my sin, he removes my sin, and he sends it away. At my desk, I have a cup of pens. It's sitting on my desk. If I affirm those pens, 
It means I lift them up off the desk and they no longer reside on the desk. Now I can put them over here in another place, but not on the desk because I have removed them. The glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he removes our sin. He lifts it off of us. It's no longer on us. It's no longer in us. It has been lifted up off of us. And we are free. Free to live a godly life. Free to live without sin. We have been washed and made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when I read a scripture, let me read this for you. Uh, Let me see if I can find it quickly. I had it. Um, Everyone, this is 1 John, the third chapter. But before I go there, there's another scripture I want to share with you. Okay, in First John, <clears throat> verse 6, If we may say that we have fellowship with him, and yet we may walk in darkness, we lie to ourselves and do not the truth. So if I say, I have fellowship with Jesus, but I'm continuing to walk in my sin, I'm lying. But if we may keep walking in the light, just as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from every conceivable sin. If we may say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He's speaking here of the Gnostics who claimed that they did not need Jesus. And he's saying, yes, you do need Jesus. If we may be in agreement with God with respect to our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he may forgive the sins with reference to us. But that's not an adequate understanding because if we say forgive, it means God doesn't do anything. Let me read it with a proper word in place. If we may be in agreement with God with respect to our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he may not forgive. He may remove, he may lift off the sins with reference to us and may cleanse us from every conceivable unrighteousness. If we may say that we've not sinned, We represent him to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin even once hereafter. 
But if anyone may sin once hereafter, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, a righteous one, and he himself is atonement concerning our sins, but not concerning ours only, but also concerning the whole world. By this we know that we have known him if we may continue to keep his commandments. The one saying, I have known him, but is not continuing to keep his commandments. He is a liar, and the truth is not in this person. But whoever may keep his word truly in that person, the love of God has been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one claiming to continue in him ought himself to walk, just as that one also walked. And then if we look at the third chapter that I was going to read for you a moment ago. This is the third chapter of 1 John. You must take notice what sort of love the Father has given to us that we may be called children of God. Because of this, the world does not know us, since it knew him not. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it was not yet made known what we shall be. But we know that if at any time he may be manifest, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone having this hope in him purifies himself, just as that one is pure. How do I purify myself? Well, I'm justified. I'm made righteous. The blood of Jesus cleanses me. It washes me clean. And now I have a wonderful peace and joy that rests in my heart. Now listen. And everyone having this hope in him purifies himself just as that one is pure. Everyone doing the sin also continues doing the lawlessness. In fact, sin is lawlessness. That is, it is voluntary rebellion and going along with the lust of the flesh. It's going along with the love of the world. The pride of life. And you know that that one was manifest so that he may take away our sins. Indeed, there's no sin in him. Everyone who continues remaining in him does not keep on sinning. Everyone sinning has not seen him, neither has he known him. Little children, you must not let anybody deceive you. The one continually doing the righteousness is righteous, just as that one is righteous. The one continually doing the sin is out of the devil, because the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was made manifest, so that he may destroy the works of the devil. Everyone having been born out of God does not continue to sin, because his seed continues to remain in him, and he is not able to keep on sinning because he has been born out of God. Now I know what I'm saying to you today goes directly against 
what you and I both were taught about the gospel of Jesus. There is a reason why the gospel has no power today. Because righteousness is not taught. We have stripped the power out of the blood of Jesus and made it something that happens in the future. But that's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that I am justified by faith. That is, all of my past sins are forgiven and I am made righteous by the power of the blood of Jesus. And I walk in newness of life. I no longer continue to walk in sin. All that is of sin drops away. Now I'm immature and I'm going to have to grow up in Jesus. And that's the sanctification process. It's a maturing, a constant cleansing. My sins are forgiven. That is, my sins have been removed from me. I no longer walk in the guilt of those sins. I walk clean before Jesus. I am made pure and clean. Now, if you're watching on YouTube and you have questions, go to the chat and leave your questions. I'd love to hear from you. Is this plain or have I confused the issue for you? I praise God for his kindness and his mercy. I praise God that he has not left me to the ravages of Satan. I praise God I can wake in the morning with a clean conscience before a holy God, where I can praise and worship and honor him. I can cast myself utterly upon him and trust him for finances. I can trust him for health. I can trust him for righteousness. I can trust him for everything I need in my life. He is a faithful God. He is a wonderful, righteous God. He's not going to turn me over to be ravished by the devil. I belong to Jesus. I'm a part of his bride. So let's just review quickly. Grace in the scripture is never a covering over of sin. According to the book of Titus, grace is what teaches me to say no to ungodliness, to unrighteousness. Justification comes from the word dikiu. In the Old English, it means to make righteous. That definition has been utterly corrupted. And now people look at the word justification as only a legal term, meaning my past sins have been forgiven. And now Jesus covers me with his righteousness And so I'm good to go, even though I'm still a sinner. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not true. It does not accord with 1 John or a number of other powerful passages, such as Romans, the 6th and 8th chapters. No, if I am justified... I am made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am transformed. I'm made into a new creature. And to forgive 
means that Jesus does not forgive my sins and leave me like I was when he found me. And all that's changed is his mind is changed toward me. And now he throws over me a robe of righteousness. Now he throws over me a quilt of grace. But underneath I'm filthy dirty. No. No. To forgive means affamy to lift up off of me the filth of sin, to lift up off of me the wickedness of my own heart, to give me a new heart and a new mind, and to write his law on my new heart. And I walk in freedom before Jesus. I walk in joy before Jesus. Well, let's pray. Lord, I pray that this word has helped men and women understand the definitions that are according to your word and not according to our church culture. Lord, I pray that you will cause men and women who hear this broadcast to search after you with all of their heart, to read the book of 1 John carefully, to read the book of Romans carefully, to give the proper meaning to justified to make righteous, that they will give the proper meaning to the word forgive, affamy, to remove my sins, not to just say, okay, I forgive you. Lord, I pray you will begin to change and challenge the corrupted salvation language of our day that men and women can begin to have the blinders taken off of their eyes so that they can see the honest position they must take before you of being crucified with you, Jesus, of giving up the life of this world, coming out and being separate. Lord, there's a great falling away that is already in process of happening across this nation where men and women are going to fall away from you. They're going to curse your name. They're going to be very angry when their prophets fail them and devastation and judgment comes on this nation because they were following you for the loaves and the fishes. They didn't understand that they had to eat your body and drink your blood, that you yourself are the sustenance that brings us into eternal life. So, Lord, I plead with you today to give us understanding and to give us courage as we search the Scriptures. For, Lord, I know there are many like myself who desire truth on the inward parts and who have been deceived even as I was deceived. And I pray, Lord, you will bring absolute clarity and understanding to our minds and to our hearts that we would lift you up, Jesus, that we would praise and worship and honor you. And Lord, you know that if you leave me to be ravished by the devil, to live in sin and wickedness. While I call myself a disciple, your name would be dishonored and I would be utterly discouraged. 
I could not live that way. I praise you, Lord. I thank you for washing me in the blood. I thank you for cleansing me in the blood. I thank you for lifting off of me the wickedness of my sins. I thank you for justifying me, making me righteous. Lord, I thank you for the grace you have covered me with, that you constantly are speaking to me and teaching me the way of righteousness. Now, Lord, please help me to grow up in my faith. Help my brothers and sisters to grow up in the faith, to understand these issues, to pray them through, to think about them, to search your word. Lord, thank you. Thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. And it is Jesus' blood that cleanses us from all sin. It's also Jesus' blood that gives us the strength and the courage to not go with the world, the flesh, or the devil, but to turn wholly to Jesus. It's his grace and his mercy. It's his love. It's his kindness. It's not by works. It's by the work of Jesus Christ in our hearts, in our minds. I praise him for this. Well, I'd love to hear from you. We are now past the halfway mark for this month, and we are not halfway there with money. For some reason, this month has been an exceptionally slow month with offerings. If you believe in this broadcast, and you believe in the message you're hearing, and you want it to continue, and you believe we need this in Washington, then would you... Give hilariously, as the Lord calls you. Write to me at Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Thank you to each one. Dirk, I saw yours. Thank you to each one. Denise, thank you. Thank you for standing with me, for sacrificially giving. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. You'll also find an internet radio. Many interesting things you will hear there. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I know Jesus loves you. And I know he's calling you to be washed and made clean by his blood. He's calling you to turn aside from the world, the flesh, and the devil. He's calling us to come out and to be separate and to be filled with his presence.
How much time do we have, Mr. Producer? Hello? Pardon? How much time do we have? We have two minutes left. Didn't you tell me a few minutes ago we had two minutes left? So we're... All right. I'm not sure what our timing is, but you know what? I trust what Jesus is doing. And I'd love to hear from all of you who are listening. I'd love to have you step forward and tell me what you believe. And are these words from Scripture that I've shared with you today helpful? Are these definitions different than what you thought? You're welcome to go in the chat line and share if you're on Internet. I know we're going to have to get very clear about the gospel. It's been very confused and confusing, with every man saying something different. But it's not based on what I say, it's based on what the scriptures say. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory With great joy With great joy Now unto Him who is able To keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of His glory